Welcome back to the War Horse Podcast, episode 22. The website is goldengoatguild.net. Golden Goat Guild is the handle on Instagram, Andrew Edwards on Twitter. Check out the website if you need your Apocalypse t-shirt, your Apocalypse stickers, or if you wish to avail yourself of some very affordably priced uh, survival consulting. I have been in this game since 2002. For 20 years, I have been traveling the country, taking classes, working on and operating ranches and farmsteads. Um, Of course, reading, writing, and trying to get a read on what the future might hold and while the my ultimate take on how it'll happen is has been written and you can um, pick up signed copies of that treatise that um, piece of work that is king of dogs on the website however it's a novel and what you can take is, you know, the heart of it, and there are some particulars in there, but the timing and how anybody would find themselves in that in that position or uh, something similar, you know, is going to be an un, an unlikely path um, for each of us as individuals. We'll speak about that some more. The dialogue, the epoch diagolos, has taken another form. I was traveling, preparing my family to move, and then doing 2,000 miles on the Fury Road to arrive in um, a much improved situation, providential timing, and um, and some other very serendipitous factors led to that. So the planned um, discussion episode is going to be shit-canned. And um, instead, what happened was a valued subscriber who in his own way is taking steps down the warrior's road, taking on the warrior's way. If you're new to this podcast, check out, go to Patreon first of all and subscribe, and then you can access episodes 8, 9, and 10. And um, now would be a good time to listen to those and scare the living shit out of yourself. 
um, because other than that particular approach mentally, as well as taking on, um, in my opinion, you know, the notion of no plan is the plan and starting to work the practical side of your of yourself over into accepting that your ability to control outcomes, all of the criteria for apprehending stability around you, you know, this is, it's already changed, right? It's almost like the powers that be have been somewhat kind. That's definitely not their, um, their intent, but the way it has worked um, over the two years of the, the parade of COVID. Um, and if, you know, if you're surrounded by people who did the MPC flip-flop right from being absolutely ready to kill people over, you know, their incongruous response to COVID to now wanting to send American fortune and lives over to a country that, that doesn't really even exist. You know, Ukraine is, um, as far as I can tell, um, has been for some time a major haven for all sorts of global criminal cryptocracy cabal type of activity, whether it was money laundering or producing child porn, um, keeping the steady supply of fine Ukrainian ass, um, you know, keeping that supply line nice and full for the past 20 odd years. Um, or, you know, then you get into the oil and the gas and the drop shipping of Afghanistan heroin and whatever else. Um, now we, now we find out that it appears anyway, that this is a sort of nexus for illicit government biological warfare activity. So if you find yourself among people that just flip-flopped, you know, it's time to take on the Jordan Petersonian notion of you are not where you think you are. Um, I've referred to this idea before. I don't care if Peterson's talking about something else. I think it's it's a very useful idea. And um, his advice, as I recall, is to, you know, stabilize and start backing away from the bear in front of you. Because arguing or making comments online or engaging with it is, I hope we can all see now, absolutely fruitless. It will be too late for them. And you cannot do, you cannot, you cannot do anything. If you are in, you know, I saw this little thread from a fellow named Tucker Max, who's not particularly my favorite um, content creator. I don't know what he is. He's not exactly a writer, but he's a, he's a dude who has managed to be famous for some time. And he, 
he sort of jumped on the shit is hitting the fan bandwagon at some point pretty recent apparently and um you know kicked out a thread which was his take on how to um move move mountains move mines men's agitat molam and it involves you know listening and attempting to take on that sort of psychological empathetic approach i would maybe recommend you know if it's your brother your sister your family members um wife husband this sort of thing yes i would i would give it i would fucking go make a powerpoint um write down some notes and consider it very very deeply and make one last attempt and if that doesn't work then you know my suggestion is be prepared to um take on the hard burden of developing an individual system of value once again if you do not know what that means you're in error i can't repeat it for the subscribers so you need to subscribe you can access patreon via the website goldengoatguild.net or the link tree in the bio on instagram the handle is golden goat guild if you appreciate that content because you're not going to get it anywhere else you're going to get all sorts of other good stuff perhaps but you won't get this i would appreciate it if you would share it widely um until the in, up until that moment when the internet is shut down permanently i will continue doing this and um believe it or not i think that is you know that's part of my individual system of value and that is something i would strongly recommend the idea of digging in to your suburban house or your rural retreat or you know your urban uh garden community and hunkering down is is what they want you to do in a recent episode we talked about howard my convicted convict um yoda figure from from many many years ago from another life um he proposed he posed this question you know what if they double team you what do you do um well howard i guess you you um you use your your pick and roll you know you use your screens better you work harder to get open because if you're a scorer this is what you need to do and he's like all right maybe what if they triple team you fuck i don't know i guess i pass there's going to be right there should be two other guys wide open and his answer was that's exactly what they want you to do that's exactly what they want they want to shut you down so if you've wound your way through the labyrinth of mirrors and psychological operations to arrive to this little podcast streaming to you live right now from a uh what do i even call it a safe house a garage in the middle of nowhere um very secure very interesting and special location to travel the the lines of the internet and come into your ear holes 
if you have somehow serendipitously or through hard work um, accomplished that, then it's high time to to seize and accept, you know, what you've got to give and then create. That's the point. Don't pass the ball, you know, create meaning in your family, create, um, uh, you know, not to bag on community gardens, create one, um, create your squad, create articles, reportage that's real. Do, it's time to do something because the, there's a lot to be said. I'm not saying, you know, form a, a parade and, you know, make signs and do stupid shit like this. I'm saying on the level um, of tactical and strategic consideration, create from that. It's not good enough to simply buy more stuff you know, we will touch on that later. There are a few things that I might recommend if if you haven't picked them up at this point. And that's going to be entirely individual, but I'll make a few general considerations. Once again, if you're if you're at the point where you can comprehend this and you want um somebody to lend you an ear, the website um there's a consultation feature there. Email me and, um, you know, if you want someone, you know, pretty experienced in this, about as experienced as you're going to get realistically, um, yeah, you know, you can, you can hit me up and we can bounce ideas back and forth. However, that's, that's the end of the shilling for this, for this segment anyway. Turning, uh, turning dark as it were, you know, has levels to it. Do you want to go anonymous now? Um, you, you know, that's your choice. But locally, um, and regionally even, if you need to make moves, um, these are considerations that s- strongly give some serious thought to it now. And again, we'll get into this a little bit more later. Back to the um, Diagolos. So I received a question from a valued subscriber. And um, he sent a voice message. And it occurred to me that this would be, this is dialogue. It's not perfect in lifetime, but it hits somewhere between the heavy monologue that opened up this podcast series and um, what we're moving into now with the more live time interaction, etc. And it was a good question, and I think it will provide some ample opportunity for, you know, getting away from 24-7 monitoring the situation, quote, monitoring, um, monitoring the, the propaganda, counter-propaganda, and all of the many, many interested strains, the voices on Twitter, Instagram, what have you. And uh, so we'll go with it. And the question 
pertains to psychedelics. And since we had planned, I had planned personally on doing some type of expanded discussion on this, um, now's a good time. So if this, this is of interest to you, then uh, kick up your feet and we will we'll tear it apart a little bit based off the framework of JMZR, we will call him. So there's this page, this section on page 63 in King of Dogs, which you may recall if you've read it, but I will read for you if you have not. Basically, this is the jumping off point for my hero, Grayson. And the shit has hit the fan for him personally. This is another feature that, um, you know, after the section or maybe we'll, we'll weave it in here and there. Collapse, in my estimation, is, is both interior and exterior in the sense that this is the world, this is how we are constituted to perceive the world, that there's an out there and an in here, and um, it must be a useful thing, or God would not have set it up this way. For my character, my hero, you know, the advantage that he has is that the interior at the at the time that the balloon goes up has already collapsed things are just simply not you're not going to at least is his belief you're not going to do much more that's going to fuck him up and of course this is tested but um so the place where he's at is being hit pretty hard and um the house is burning down, and he has been unwittingly dosed with a lot of psilocybin. So page 63, he had a vivid mental image of Ben's face blown out across the floorboards. A breeze rippled through the porch, carrying more smoke. A wall stud bowed and cracked in the house, sound of old sheetrock crumbling. It occurred to him that he didn't feel alone. Perhaps it was the cat, but he thought not. A greater order unveiling itself in this moment had embraced him, and he felt it expand in his actual heart. It was not fear, he knew that much. It was that which temporarily yielded to fear to pull it in and devour it whole in due time. So... The cat refers to the fact that Grayson is taking refuge. He's hiding underneath this porch. And there's this um, desiccated cat corpse down there smiling at him. And what is of interest to listener, subscriber, JMZR, is um, not being alone. 
it occurred to him that he didn't feel alone. So what's going on here? And what does this have to do with the bigger picture, psychedelics, and this moment right before diesel probably hits $10 a gallon and likely cyber attack. We're, in my estimation, you know, if we're not perfectly clear, we're, we're well into, into the collapse by now. But, you know, that's everybody, including myself, yeah, 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 like, I get it, we're, we're on this trajectory. But what's going to be the thing where you know, maybe history looks back and says, well, that was the moment. Well, it's always been a currency war and uh, basically an effort to rejigger the global financial system such that players at the top, whatever reset, reboot, jubilee were to occur, it's their intention that they remain at the top. And along the way, if, we can, if they can use this crisis to you know, basically fuck everyone else even harder through schemes like the Green New Deal or the, the, the Great Reset, um, eat your soy brick and um, take on the, the Unity app or whatever it's going to be called that will contain your, your social credit units and monitor you 24-7, literally all the time. Clearly, you know, this is, a, as we said, a stepwise process, but there will be a sort of moment, you know, I hope, I hope that we are all blessed with enough of a moment to finally begin to perceive um, ourselves as the frog slowly being boiled. Because from that awareness, from, I mean, without awareness, there will be nothing good. This was the angle the entire time, was to squeeze the, the oxygen, if you will, out of your brain. And that's the ultimate goal, the Morlocks and the Eloy, etc. So for our character here, Why does he not feel alone? Okay, we'll come back to it. JMZR is reading Castaneda's first book, or finished reading it. Um, the Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaki Way of Knowledge. And in this book, the mentor figure, the, the Yoda character, Don Juan, is teaching the neophyte naive, self-important turd, Castaneda, about, quote, sacred plants and hallucinogens. And Don Juan, whose shamanistic tradition lineage is supposed to come out of the Toltec and Olmec civilizations, something carried on from that. This character refers to these plants as potential allies that, for example, 
the mushroom or mescalito, what have you, peyote, something will, you will take up a, rela a relationship with it of some kind. A lot to, to discuss here. So when I read these books, um, I, I'm, and I'm still not entirely sure what this, this idea of an ally means. Is it the third entity? You hear, you hear this everywhere. You know, the entire Joe Rogan experience that we seem to all be partaking in um, has it that, you know, DMT jacks you into another world and there are separate entities in these dimensions, the DMT elves, um, in ayahuasca ceremonies, it's usually a snake or a leopard or aliens. Um, and I don't think there's any particular limit to what this milieu might acknowledge as a separate entity. But this is, this is a crucial area, right? Because if it's not just you on drugs hallucinating, but you're accessing through portals, through a slipstream, some distinct intelligence or entity being outside of yourself, you've kind of, what you've done is you've, on the one hand, it's in line with a lot of materialist enlightenment thinking. And it's, it, it's sneaky because it preserves that. It also acknowledges, this is why it's sneaky, it acknowledges, you know, a supernatural possibility that many have bemoaned, myself included, as this is an essential part of, of human experience and we're frankly retarded to dismiss it and to pretend like it's just a random flux of molecules with no intent or design behind it. It's entirely fucking random and um, an atheistic, perhaps agnostic point of view prevailing. Now you add psychological components like pressure, um, limited time, and the creeping in of, of despair with all of the, we've been shorn of our, you know, traditional strategies for coping with those things. Community embeddedness in a tradition, a culture, family, just a embodied as as they like to say now you know relationship with yourself and the quote outside world so you can see why it's kind of like i'm not going to take a position necessarily on are there dmt elves or are there i think that's the wrong approach personally um more accessible, at least, 
in an analysis from an analytical point of view is, well, what does this thinking imply? What are the second, third, seventh order effects? How would that worldview will its way out down the road? So that's an ongoing topic. You know, I, I am not going to, that's my, that's my position on a lot of this stuff is, why do I have to take a position? It's not to say that I don't have one or I don't have an intuition or I don't toy around with this idea or that, but the certainty is the problem. And this goes back, in my opinion, my you know, analysis of the cultural psychic landscape. Again, I will shill again. Go back, listen to the episodes on uncertainism and the mold and these things. At least if you develop, you know, if you just take those on as, a, again, an analytical type of tool, you can situate yourself with something. You have reference points to start taking stock of what's, what's inside, you know, what multiplicities am I dealing with? With that said, I will give you my opinion on these things, because why not? Um, just simply take note of the fact that if you as an individual person are able to take X drug or combination or apply ritualistic fashion, then, and you know, perceive something, and then maybe other people agree or they don't, what would be the result of that? that knowledge. I've run into many people that will tell me, pardon me, they've seen the elves and they're convinced that this was a whole other dimension. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's just the slipstream. Maybe as the Orthodox tradition, which in my opinion, and we'll tie this into some other stuff later, I have, uh, we can rec remember, the, the Orthodox tradition likely comes out of some previous tradition um, and the church fathers hold that though I've never personally found anything where because you can get modern priests who will say yeah psychedelics appear to be um, Father Seraphim Rose does do a bit on this and that their position is you are opening yourself up to to entities to demonic entities. They don't say you're opening up to angelic entities. So one wonders, is this because we already have some given relationship with the angelic? Well, uh, maybe. Usually what the takeaway is, is that you're messing with stuff that you don't understand. And that's a fact. That's just a fact. Like, whether or not it's DMTLs or interdimensional aliens, and I have listened to all of this shit. I'm not um, interested right now in pulling up Joe Rogan clips or even the best of them, which are really fascinating and make for great, you know, uh, conversation or contemplation. I've listened to all of it. And... Um, Either way, 
you have to admit that you're you're accepting what might be um, a catastrophic risk that may or may not show itself right away. You can come out of the trip and and this I've seen this and if you you know do a little survey of people you know you will eventually run into somebody who knows somebody who was seeing the elves um getting the vibe you know i'm i'm one with the world man and then took some strange turns and then something not too great happened to be clear i am not a believer that psychedelics will automatically wind you up in some totally fucked up psychological situation. So with the kind of overview there set, and this, I hope, you know, this raises another point, which I'll try and speak to. So with, with King of Dogs in particular, When I wrote it um, in its in its final version, and I was editing it along with a professional, and there were other you know voices, um, readers, if you will, who were bouncing their opinions off. And one of the things that came up was the fact that. There's a, there's a great deal of uh, symbolic, esoteric, but also literary, mythological structure, illusion, reference going on. And by I say a lot, it's, um, it's not happenstance. It's not done in the, in the way that, well, here's, some, here's, here's a way. And I will admit, sometimes if that's available, if I can just drop something in, to connote for the reader, um, I will, I'll do it all the time. The difference with this book is that there is coherence in the different levels. So most readers now, or excuse me, most writers don't touch on this at all. It's not of any interest because it doesn't sell and they weren't trained that way. And this goes for, you know, very popular, um, what do we call them? Independent authors as well. They're this is not accessible to them or they've chosen not to engage at that level because what happens is you essentially if you choose to write on three different levels you just you're going to take on three different novels not to say nothing of the fact that this all needs to be coherent and it cannot stand out too much here or there so it's like camouflage you know you um You've got, say, seven different colors. They all need to jive in some natural way, and they all need to work harmoniously to accomplish their purpose. And so the editor said, dude, no one's going to notice this shit. And I said, okay, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I think the great novel is. You're able to read it, um, and you can, you can do things like read Blood Meridian, then go read Notes on Blood Meridian by John Seepich. 
And in one sense, what's happening is that the world created by McCarthy and Blood Meridian is being pried open and expanded, scratched at by John Steepich. The difference is John Steepich does not, he realizes that he needs to meet the novel with something like an equal amount of respect, you know, a talent, ability, and commitment that went into the novel. I've said this before, you know, in little Instagram posts, something similar. Um, perhaps I will pull it up and throw it in the notes if there's any interest. But this is the truth, in my opinion, that you get out what you get in. And the danger and the thing that's fucked us all up is that usually there's nothing to get out. So why, why the fuck would I give more other than just sort of passive, let the screen flicker in front of me and um, drink another beer and crash? Completely reasonable. More reasonable would be to, not, to just not watch the flickering screen unless you have good reason to believe it's going to be worthwhile. Novels are probably even more so. At least shit blows up and you might see some tits on TV and in movies. But that was the job. That's what I set out to do and I accomplished it. However, the editors and readers who were privy to some of what I was illustrating for them was being built in. Um, you know, nobody's going to notice that. And that may be the case, but um, it doesn't change the fact that that is what is available for the reader. Well, all that is to say, I'm not giving that stuff away. However, I will, um, it seems fair and um, honors the work, honors the reader. If you have a specific question like this, and you know, who am I? Um, I'm not at this point some famous person who, who should turn you away because of, I don't know, my ego or something. So I will go into this and then, but, and I will add that, uh, JMZR has kind of found, found a way if he wants to, into a deeper strain a deeper you know imagine like an underground river that they all flow to the sea and you could take another underground river and that will flow you to the sea um but you, you can if you want to you can just ride the narrative you know the sort of action film plot believe me trust me those seven plot points they're there they're also there with a little bit of a twist if you pay attention. But either way, any of these, if we say, you know, underground subterranean rivers of meaning, you can ride those and um, you can, you basically take another path to the same conclusion. Okay, so the reason that Grayson does not feel alone 
is not because there's a demonic entity necessarily or even an angelic entity that has passed into somehow you know the biochemical features of psilocybin and caffeine and nicotine and adrenaline cortisol um, endogenous DMT what have you it's not necessarily that he has taken on you know a demon or, or an angelic entity exactly in my worldview what's happening is that he's stepping into the slipstream so this is where I would agree with a lot of the Joe Rogany sort of, you know, Terrence McKenna, I guess is where Rogan actually gets all this shit from. And the Orthodox seem to agree, right? That there may very well be entities there. The issue, however, is all of these entities are nonetheless, just as you and me and my kid and your kid and your dog and my dog are alive and well and extant in this world this world and all of us and everything that we know is only extant in the mind of god you know the creation that was made so and this follows right you have an all-powerful god how did how is it so demons just are kind of where are they exactly is the slipstream itself not a creation of god is it not accessible to god every hair is numbered at just like every grain of sand so on the one hand for the psychonaut i suppose this could be freeing well no matter where i go i'm still you know the sh even if i'm in darkness this is as david milch says merely a shadow cast by the hand of God. Okay. The issue though, is that you are accountable. We are all accountable. And this is told, I mean, if we don't have this shit, um, you know, you're, we're totally fucked. If there's no accounting, then there's, there's nothing. And what that accounting is, again, the Orthodox do not claim to know other versions of christianity you know they will tell you right down to the letter what you got to do 17 hail marys blah 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 this amount of charity blah 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 all of this is um in my opinion horseshit we know what a sacrifice feels like and this is the fact this is the hardest shit right so you know it what a sacrifice is you know when you're lying you know when you're not and so does God. And God is not this entity, this fucking, you know, bearded man in the sky. Nor is God, uh, in my opinion, a, a voice um, speaking in English into your ear. Nor is God the, um, you know, the bicameral, the bicameral mind, the evolutionary thing again, where... Um, <laughs> once again, random flux decided that it would be in the human being's survival. It would be in the, the interest of survival for the human being to, I don't know what, experimentally posit 
a disjointed voice in your own head and the corpus callosum was then grown up to make no well it wasn't that it, it just happened that way and so that's how we view the world okay okay well i don't go there um obviously so where i do go is that the biochemical mechanical all is all accessible you could take the access road to God by way of its aesthetics. You could navigate by way of beauty through this ambiguity to arrive at a felt yet embodied sense of truth. Sometimes in theological works and whatnot, this will be so it would be terms sort of akin to or adjacent to um, revelation, prophecy, or something like something like this. In some sense, it's you know we've talked about categories. I like them and I don't like them because they're useful, and so I will use them here. I believe that you can actually reason your way really quickly to God. The problem is that you're going to lie to yourself. And the world is going to lie to you. If you want to do it, just honestly ask yourself, how did something come from nothing? And just, just don't squirm out of it. Just fucking sit there and stare at that shit for as long as it takes. And it really won't take that long if you're just like a child. You know, you tell the child, look, you're going to eat this. You don't like green beans, but you're going to sit here. Um... For six weeks, if you have to, till you eat the green beans. You're a grown man, most likely, and you know you can do this. This is to say, however, that uh, almost nobody will do that, right? But a lot of people will take the aesthetic or the, um, the embodied approach, you know? And it's... It's hard to say which one is easier, which one is more beneficial, what have you. The drug path is embodied in a way. Like you cannot take a heroic dose of psilocybin mushrooms, you know, unless you quit or something and you, you, you have a total freak out or you take some Valium or something. I suppose you can sometimes kind of crawl off the the track and into bed and crank the music up and pretend like it didn't happen i suppose that's i never had access to valium when i was into this stuff so my approach was like the warrior's way as described episodes eight nine ten so here we are back at castaneda super important to do some of the research on Castaneda. I may, I may have done listeners a bit of a disservice. Um, I didn't want to linger too much on his biography and the, the, the final story of him in case, it's, in case you want to check it out yourself or it's not of interest. But the real reason was I have read all nine of those books, some of them several times, and I monitored 
to the extent that I could, this very reclusive character, um, Castaneda's life. He was still alive when I got into those books, and then he died, I think, in the mid to late 90s. And we'll touch on that. And we'll try to correct what may have been um, an oversight. So what we know is that Castaneda shows up at UCLA to do his, apparently his whole, his entire education. I don't know if he got, just went from bachelor's into a PhD program or what, but he seems to be doing everything at UCLA, like kind of early 60s. There's talk that he, like Bob Dylan, sort of obscured his history from the start, and he, um, he never did publicly seem to admit that evidently he was from Brazil. He, um, he said at various times he was from the U.S. or from Mexico or from Peru, I think maybe another place. And I guess I should say it's, it's even now it's hard to sort the fact from the fiction. And then this is made meta by the fact that one of Don Juan's teachings is to obscure your personal history. You know, go back, cover your tracks. Literally, at some point, you're going to have to let go of your family to walk the warrior's way, um, etc. So he does his dissertation for his PhD, which no, I, I don't know if it was actually written the way that that first book arrives, you know, um, sort of just a narrative, but it seems like that's the case. He gets his PhD, he publishes that dissertation as whatever he titled it, but then it's published as um, The Teachings of Don Juan, Yaki Way of Knowledge, etc. It's, it's like 1968-ish, 69-ish, when this happens. You already have the seeding of... Uh, Gordon Wasson, Time Magazine, John Marco, Allegro, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. You have all this stuff either percolating in the background or, or known. And you also have um, Al Hubbard poised to do his evidently CIA-sanctioned sheep dipped kind of early early version of of what later Leary and uh Ken Kesey do that is you know taking LSD around to famous and interesting people and introducing them to it at a very early stage before it hits the masses and yeah, CIA is there, right, right, right at the beginning. I mean, way before you know your grandpa or your dad uh, decided to drop a tab at a dead show. Those fucking guys were into it years, if not decades, before. Why? Well, I don't. 
I don't think that I can take that tangent at the moment, but it's there. So it's a feature. And this book hits, you know, right at the summer of love or right around the same time. And um, it's a massive, massive hit. Like Castaneda, as I understand it, just never went back to academia. Like, why would he? He just made probably the equivalent of $10 million and he buys a house in Los Angeles and continues writing, apparently. The entire time, you have the kind of behavior consistent with somebody who's going to do this Dylan-esque, and even in Dylan's defense, you know, he had a very interesting way of doing it. And he, and he, one, he kept his marbles the entire time. The dude is still out there, still creating um, some of the best shit that's, that's available. And, uh, you know, to put Dylan and Castaneda even in the same boat is... Like, some people would do it, though, because Castaneda's effect is massive. But um, on the one hand, you have, in my opinion, a legitimate genius. And the other, you have maybe a type of genius, but, and I'm speaking of Castaneda here, um, in my opinion, taken from the 30,000-foot view, something that looks much more like the charlatan chicanery um, and you know, maybe worse uh, in Castaneda's behavior. So he goes on he, and he retains this super reclusive approach. He's not, he's massively famous. Everybody wants to meet him, but he's not available. And the publishers support this approach because of course it, the mystery creates yet more interest. And the idea that he's still down there in Sonora meeting up with this Yaki Yoda-like character creates yet more interest. And this extends through, um, through the 70s and 80s into, I think, the early 90s. Um, real brief aside, the third book, Journey to Ixlan, in my opinion, is the best as far as a literary piece. The rest of it just kind of, you know, if you take, if you have all this sort of questioning, if you take it from a questioning point of view or with due suspicion, yeah, an open mind, but trust me, by about book six, you're like, shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Like this, this was the... But there's a way at the same time that given the um, structure of what he's laid down in those first few books, enough people went with it in the later books to, by that time, Don Juan has admitted that the only purpose of uh, the mescalito and the mushroom or what have you was just to jar self-important Carlos out of his of the mold, you know. I stole the idea of, or at least the term, the mold, 
uh, from those books, as I recall. Um, and as as has been said before in this in this podcast, you know, for somebody who's read a lot, you you very quickly realize that Castaneda is stealing everything from everybody. So if Don Juan is real, he's either um, the most well-read, you know, Indian hobo in certainly in Mexico, or it's the work of a PhD student who didn't want to really do anthropological stuff, kind of saw a way to maybe take some drugs and bullshit his way through this, or, well, and or, um, was tipped off to the idea that uh, psychedelics were about to be a big thing. And he could have, in his defense, there, there was enough already with... Um, you know, the Swiss manufacturing of LSD, um, peyote was a thing among Native Americans in America at that time. Though peyote itself, you know, if you look at it, that's not, it doesn't appear to be uh, like an unbroken chain of um, peyote use by, by Indians, at least in North America. Don't hold me to that. I, I'm suspect myself because a lot of the shit could just go underground or have been misinterpreted or gone from some tribe to another. All these tribes are merging or crushed or what have you. But either way, um, there was enough there for us to presume that maybe Carlos Castaneda really was, you know, like a guy with an ability to project the next trend. This does exist, right? And he saw this opportunity and so made up the story and just stuck to his guns and was and even I can imagine as as a writer that he took on the mantle at least justified it mentally by saying well one there's a history of reclusivity um in great authors and as I said, as I admit myself, there's an undeniable power, quantum, if you will, like it's, it's on the level of a code, you know, it's beyond McCarthy, for example, will not tell you, you know, what, what his books quote mean or something like that. Or he does going back to seepage though. In conversation, you know, if you've made it thus far, he will help you out. He will give you a nod or, yeah, I, mean, I read these books. Because Seepich had a number of conversations with him and pried out a lot. So it's, but that's like, to me, that seems like you're not breaking the code. Um, you've basically found somebody who's honoring your level as the writer of dedication and immersion and finds it powerful or intriguing or, or curious and wants to go deeper. Okay. Nonetheless, Castaneda would have been aware um, that that was a possible mode of behavior and maybe he could exaggerate it. Um, it's also possible that he was contacted early on 
who knows, by Friends of the Dulles Brothers or Friends of Al Hubbard or all sorts of fucking, um, <laughs> I was, I can't remember the guy's name. George de Mornshield, you know, there are some strange characters um, in the American landscape in those years who got around. But anyway, was he contacted and maybe pulled aside? Maybe there were issues with his access, you know, from Brazil to California. Who knows? I don't, I don't know that I have enough information and this, again, is sort of in defense of Castaneda, which, if you have not picked up, at a certain point, you know, do I really even want to know the whole story? I suppose, yes, I do. However, I kind of want to take it my own way, too. Um, and that's out of the fact, born out of the fact that I have had many of these experiences myself, and they are without question, some of the most important experiences that I've ever had or will ever have. And we kind of arrive ourselves back to this conundrum of developing an approach to living with massive, pervasive ambiguity, um, which has been a thing forever, you know, um, Wise men have known that sometimes it's best not to know the whole story. Some, to, As James Bowery said, you know, there are some questions that, yes, you can ask them, but it might be better for your soul not to ask them. So, as far as Castaneda's trying to summarize his thing, a lot of weird serendipitous stuff happens in his favor. Nobody shuts him down for a long, long time. He perpetuates this idea that he's mostly just down in Mexico, um, living in like a, a hut and doing some super arduous, austere, intense shamanic training. And, you know, beyond that, uh, like learning how to operate with power in either the slipstream or a literal other sort of place. Some of the reality is that he's spending a lot of time in America and he, he did meet with any number of famous people. So, and the stories that I read were that he, even though he met with these people, he did continue to perpetuate this constant Dylan-esque type of um, obfuscation about what he was doing. But, you know, anybody who ever tried to get laid at a party knows that this is a very effective way to get laid at a party. <laughs> um, but there are reports of him showing up with famous directors, famous musicians, all that sort of stuff at, you know, the most elite parties. And uh, in a way, it validates Castaneda's whole approach. So he's just some immigrant from Brazil who happened to write this sort of unorthodox dissertation that takes off into this massive global hit, millions and millions of copies sold. 
um, takes his leave of academia immediately and then is able to, throughout the 80s and 70s, access, you know, uh, celebrity royalty sort of levels of exclusivity on the social scale. So personal power, you know. It's things like that that I pulled from this book. It's, I think that the da- there's a danger, okay, in reading these books and thinking that you should really count how many fucking crows are in the sky. And I don't mean to be harsh, but the read on the book is, unfortunately, a bit closer to the Robert Greene type of trash um, 48 Laws of blah 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 that I just fucking yanked from, you know, Machiavelli. Well, I'll, I'll pay an homage to Machiavelli. No, you, you stole the whole fucking concept from Machiavelli. And similarly, I think Robert Greene did it in order to gain personal power and access, you know, uh, levels of exclusivity that were not available to him. Though he does have, if you research his background, some tribal access. Um, you know, he's not just some dude from, from nowhere, which is often the case. And uh, in my point of view, justifies, uh, you know, some, some skepticism, again, towards the entire media apparatus and perhaps goes some way to justifying some resentment towards it. If you are a creator who is bent by your devotion to truth, to avoid things like um, overt manipulation. All right, so last piece on Castaneda's history is he really did form a fucking harem. For quite a while and it seems to me that getting laid was a very important feature of his life and so he had like devoted um witches you know in the later books he brings up this whole thing about drawing four different women to you and they then become witches and you know you're deep into you're quite a ways, man, at this point from experimenting with mushrooms in the woods and feeling the oneness or, you know, the power of music or the power of these sort of, you know, more humble um, elements of, of our reality. Supposedly he dies of pancreatic cancer and his harem is dispersed never to be seen from never or heard you know from again it's said that his body is um like right up to the end right the mystery is retained his there was something funny with his body like it was cremated immediately and then nobody ever saw it again legend was no he actually just you know pulled up stakes and went fully into the Mexican shaman thing, and he's alive to this day, flipping burgers in the Yucatan. Some of the bones of one of these women, this was all in L.A., of course, um, show like 20, 15 years later after she disappears, her bones are found in the desert 
um, Death Valley somewhere. And there's some other, you know, sketchy shit that goes down right then. Um, whether it's stolen vehicles or suicides among these women, I can't recall. But it's not, it's an ignominious uh, sort of exit, right? So he blows, either way, however you try and spin the last part of that story, it doesn't look so good. As well, I should add that at a certain point, and this of course doesn't matter to, you know, like, uh, DeMille does a big takedown. You can read that book. It's not that great. And there's some other takedowns. But his first wife does a sort of, I don't know, kind of a money grab, half honorific, half um, not quite a debunking, but, but there is some of it in there. It, there's a way to read it, though, where it's just, again, once again, Castaneda, the apprentice, covering up his personal history, but he appears to have left a son. And I want to say that, you know, that's fucked up for one. And at the same time, I have to admit that there's evidence of him recognizing something about him, his relation to his son and his relationship to his own father. And I've said this before, there's, there is one reward at the end of that nine-book road, and it's, it's typical Castaneda, which is why I tend to view this whole thing as a, a literary phenomenon, more than, way, way more than anthrop- anthropology, insofar as anthropology itself is even a, um, a science. It's certainly not, you know, a hard science, but... Um, it's, it's, in my estimation, a literary and, like, social sort of phenomenon. All right, so that's all to say, which maybe I did not make clear earlier, all of this shit needs to be taken with massive... I mean, this is not a fucking manual. I would take DeRope if you want to go with a manual for the warrior's way in psychedelics. Um, and he basically straight up says, don't fuck with them you know, most likely you're going to fuck with them. And um, in my opinion, Castaneda's version of the warrior's way, as I've, and we said this in those three episodes, this is one man's analysis of something that many men have analyzed. That is, in my opinion, a psychic feature, not in the Jungian sense, but beyond you. Okay, in the sense of the logos, there are something akin to what Jung approaches as archetypes. But this whole Jungian project, if you've not delved into it, if you've not read Origin, the History of Consciousness or, or Jung stuff, um, it may not be clear that For certain, the way it was taken was as like supportive evidence of the evolutionary worldview. That is, something arose out of nothing. And it just kind of worked out. Okay. Whether or not Jung entirely went along with that, you know, is debatable. But it seems pretty clear where he would have come down if you understand 
the whole Jungian worldview seems to imply that there is an evolution of the psyche. And the timing of all that stuff um, in Germany, in Europe, those, those circles, those intellectual circles, um, it would be very hard for me to believe that the Jung, he's like Peterson, you know, he dance, he's going to dance around it and that's fine because sometimes that's what you have to do with ambiguity. But the danger is that later on bits of union thought or what have you will be used. And if you're not aware of that, again, that's fine too. If you want to take, that's what I do. You know, I take it and I'll play with it one way or I'll play with it another. However, and sometimes if I don't know what I'm doing, it'll bite me in the ass. But if you're going to do something, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to either do the due diligence and do a risk analysis, etc., or you're going to go willy nilly and come what may. This was to say, because if we go into Jung and the whole thing, we'll leave it at that. So we'll leave it at my understanding of Jung and those archetypes is that they are sort of, they themselves underwent a type of evolutionary process. Okay. All of the basis for that is in Jung's view, perhaps extant, you know, in the firmament of things, and it was simply perceived, and man is a magical creature, etc. It's not actually that far from what I believe, you know, assuming there's a psychic logos, which we, I do, um, and it, it seems to me, the what I've read of the Church Fathers, that that is... That has to be the case, you know, because the Christian story is that mankind is made and it is good. It is not mankind is made and then he kind of evolves. He kind of works his way through some shit. No, that's, the idea is that John the Baptist was entirely a man, just like you or I, you know, obviously much, much more, much, much more of a man. But he has all the same components that you and I have. Therefore, I think it follows that if something like the Warrior's Way exists, which insofar as the Warrior's Way is a, a code that you can be conscious of and then routinize your behavior in accord with, then there you go. So that's what it is. And does it lead to portals? Does it lead to the slipstream? Yes, it absolutely does. And it also gives you the option of not taking mushrooms to do it. And so does it, pre, does it exclude the option of, no, it doesn't. In, in my opinion, this idea that um, you're going to have to do some serious um, stretching to get there to say that the biblical notion that, you know, all the seed bearing plants are made uh, for man's dominion you know, okay, so God made the earth. Why do we have these fucking receptors for things like, why do we make endogenous DMT? And why do we have receptors for things like cannabis or mushrooms? Why would we have this experience? Well, that's a really good fucking question, in my opinion. And so, 
this is to me uh, the warrior's way itself, right? Doing the risk analysis, taking stock of your beliefs, your values, your capabilities. I like to think that there are people that have gotten some decent counsel when they put it out there that they're thinking about taking a big old dose of what have you. And somebody said, you know, if you're not feeling really strong, like if you maybe are a little depressed right now, or if you're looking for an easy out, maybe mushrooms aren't the way to do it. And I like to think there are people that heard that and were like, huh, I am a little depressed, you know? I've kind of been kind of down for a while now. Maybe, maybe I'll do something else instead of, hey, I heard mushrooms are a fucking sort my shit out. But I know that many, like you do, of course, you know, and I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it many, many times. People who have absolutely no business um, taking a super powerful psychoactive hallucinogenic substance, hoping that, hoping, just trust, well, I guess I'm just going to find God by ingesting the shit. And whether or not those... There were definitely, even in my life experience, a few cases where the question of possession by actual demonic entities is, is not certain either way. <laughs> um, absolutely possible. And um, in the sense that The mushroom is some sort of, you know, the mushroom. This is the way that the McKenna spoke of it. That it itself was an intelligent being. All right. So is that possible? Um, yeah, I think it probably is. I think that, in fact, one of the main experiences that um, to me would be more universal than seeing some jeweled panther in the fucking jungle as you puke and shit yourself on the floor would be the experience of sitting by a tree tripping and seeing the world breathe. It, I mean, it definitely would seem to me that these things are alive and just scientifically, right? Yeah, trees are alive, but they don't move. They just sort of sit there and then they go through their process. I have, oh, you know, tripped alone in the mountains at the right time as the sun goes down and seen 10,000 trees all bow their limbs up like in a U shape. I'm talking about evergreen Pacific Northwest Wonderland trees bow their arms up as if in final salute or to honor or like angels' wings, uh, you know, the last of the dying light. I have sat under hardwood trees in the city and seen them move in the breeze um, and 
perceived, let's say, or felt the unity between these, the night, the wind, the earth that the tree is rooted in, and, you know, the physics of the trunk and then the, the less stable branches and, and seeing it actually appear to breathe. So it seems, it, it seems um, attractive, let's say, that this idea that mushrooms, maybe they even are, as McKenna seemed to imply sometimes, this alien, you know, intelligent uh, entity seeded through the cosmos. And, you know, Rogan took this a little far with the, the whole, or maybe even McKenna, spawned that idea that you know this was the trigger for this great leap in evolution all these monkeys fucking eating mushrooms no i don't i don't go there personally and i as far as how would you beyond just taking mushrooms and then hoping to be told or have some intuition about the what's the word the completeness you know the exteriorness of an intelligent alive nature of you know, of, of psilocybin at least, or peyote would probably fall in this category. This would seem, you know, in line with the animism and those more primitive approaches. And I'm not, I don't dismiss that stuff personally, but the way that I read those stories was... And this seemed to be part of what Castaneda was implying, that there was another way, another worldview, you know, another way to apprehend the world and more magical, more integrated, maybe more rewarding, maybe tougher. So to dive back into the conspiracy side of things quickly, there are some conspiracy researchers out there who dove into this thing called the Archaic Revival, which, if I can summarize it, was sort of a um, cryptocracy, CIA-level control design introduced around the, the area, you know, the, the neighborhood of the Summer of Love to promote in society through the use of drugs and music and other things, the whole 60s revolution, um, a kind of backlash rebellion against technology because this was where the elite wanted to ultimately return everybody anyway as they alone went off on their technocratic um, you know, starship, basically. And... It's like, okay, you know, yeah, I think Mr. Bowery even 
kind of suggested something similar. Like that may be the the best actual outcome here is they just fuck off and go build their little things. Hopefully they don't continue to mine us down here and we can return to a more natural way of life. Well, whether we do or we don't or whatever, the archaic revival narrative says that a lot of that back to the earth, the communes, um, many things, even the buckskin jackets, you know, the free love, all of this stuff had um, an ethic to it that was, it was much more honestly in line with where, where, you know, progressivism and liberalism were in Portland that kind of led to things like anarcho-primitivism and, you know, dyeing your kids' clothes with natural uh, fucking dyes that you, you know, pick up out of leaves, which is a thing. And it's not a bad thing. Some of it, I would not... You know, I have not jumped off on. I'm with, I, perhaps this is just the nature of, of one individual to another. I'm more interested in, in knowing than I am in, um, in just doing this, that, or the other thing, which may be a fault in some respects, but that in a world where all of these things are plausible, and it is known that there's a malevolent intent. Always possible. I, definitely at the grand narrative level. Um, you know, again, my approach is use my best judgment, take the dribs and drabs, take what I need and leave the rest and form my own individual system of value. Which is all to say... I personally think that you could extrapolate or hypothesize a type of entity within the mushrooms just based on any consistent approach to it because it's you perceiving it and there's not going to be any way to, you know, get the like the hive mind of the great mushroom to come forward and speak to us, which is, it's not trying to be condescending. It's not, but it's, it seems to me that the truth is that um, God put these plants here knowing that they would interact with us in this way and that's why they interact with us in this way. Why did he do that? Don't know. It seems too easy to say, well, to talk to God. Okay, I mean, maybe, you know, but I have known people who have gone on all manner of um, regimens with these things, whether it's once a week for 25 years, whether it's every day for 260 days in a row, whether it was four times a year for 10 years, um, all all different possibilities have been experimented with and my take on this is that this was some literary stuff um, that was worked in quite where he got 
the ally component? I don't know. What Grayson is experiencing, in my opinion, is panentheism. Once again, we return to this worldview. And to answer the question for, for JMZR in particular, because I think maybe this is the important part of this, um, not necessarily you know the book or whatever, but perhaps his experience his trying to get a read on where this all kind of falls out. And he, to his credit, you know, he isolated, I think, one or two other areas in that novel where a similar type of experience of uh, a doubleness or um, not being alone is experienced. So I'll do my best to, to flesh out kind of um, maybe I hope something I hope something helpful um, because it's really not my intention to turn anybody hard on to these things or hard away from them it would be hypocritical and I think irresponsible either way um, all I can do is just report to you the information that I have and then I, I'll give you my honest take and hopefully as i said you can discard what you don't need and and carry on stronger than you were in a worldview like panentheism you know and the way that this world appears to be constructed and then trying to understand the subject object constantly like duality popping its head up whether it's in philosophy or religion or whatever or just our our language the closest that i've been able to to wend my way through this thicket is to say that and if you're going to put a gun to my head you know and conclude something it would be that our experience itself is constituted in a certain way and we are limited by god and that's intentional and he's doing it for our preservation whether that's on a fleshly level or on a soul level or both i think that the whole of creation might be something truly beyond our comprehension at all in that something like non-existence or hell or an alien planet with absolutely hostile fucking creatures with acid for blood um all of this shit or none of it may very well be possible or or in existence and it seems to me that in some sense, this is accomplished by the fact that all of it is of God, bound with God. This, it's, it's infused in everything, the chair, the phone. Um, and, and our contribution coming from our free will is, 
you know, in this way that we're supposed to be humble and that we turn to dust and all this, it's very, it very much seems to imply a bigger game. And um, the aspect of pride, hubris um, throughout philosophy and theology and literature being this, you know, the prototypical fuck up, downfall suggests as well um well i mean a a feature of of this constitution this way that we're constituted we're kind of locked in a position to have the sense like castaneda says of self-importance for some reason um and like children, n- not really given to ever understanding the full thing. All the wisdom schools will tell you something similar. Like, if you think you found the way, you're, this is a sign that you did not find the way. And that's what Grayson is experiencing, you know, he, and he's resisting it because he knows. And that's the power of this hero. And that's why I say, fuck you. This book goes next to Dostoevsky. You fucking retards just haven't figured it out yet. Sorry, but that's the truth. And, um, in the, you know, and what I tried to do in this book was, I remember thinking, I want to make, like a philosophical or, or truly literary action film. How do you do that? A typical sort of postmodern project, but I want to, I want to supersede all of these, all this stuff and actually pull it off. And so a lot of things that are done in, uh, you know, postmodern, what have you, novels, they go meta and they go, you know, breaking the fourth wall or whatever, and they make this shit very explicit. And this in part is done moving back to the, what we said about the editors and whatnot. It's kind of like this famous idea. Well, you can point the dog to the, the snack over there, but the dog's just going to look at your finger. Talk about condescending. Like, my respect for the reader, even if there's only one out there who's never been born yet, is that if you know enough and you're, or you're willing to go deep enough into it and accept the possibility that there are just literal facets to a narrative that are reflecting off of each other uh, like a hologram or something to create yet another um, dimension of the story. What does that mean? What, what have we actually accomplished by this? And that's what's happening in the character of Grayson. He's, you know, I've told you at that point in the novel that he's at least exposed to orthodoxy, if not orthodox himself. Reading orthodox books, if not orthodox. There's a dream you know, which suggests again the same thing. So what does this all add up to? No one's asked. And again, we're at the point where I'm not going to tell you. But I will tell you that, that that's what is being experienced. 
the man is in potentially you know a nightmare scenario maybe maybe some people's worst nightmare having to go to fucking war right now and you are and totally unprepared and unbeknownst to you you are now frying you are tripping balls and so you need to fight to figure out what is true. Are you tripping? How hard are you tripping? What is it? All of that shit's going on. So, that, you know, the entirety of the ambiguity that we just kind of wandered through here for an hour. Um, there is a similar, there is an intensity. Um, it's meant to associate the intensity of tripping itself. You know, for me, this was always pretty cerebral at times. Um, but there is a noirish quality um, to some of this work. Noir has always been, I don't know, one of the, one of the best things I've ever found. Um, we've talked about the detective archetype in other episodes, um, and it it to me is the the ultimate sort of modern archetype because. Go back and listen to that episode. But on a psychic level, you know, and at times the psychic level will merge with the level of the narrative or the level of your reality. And you are standing there and you you need to, you can do several, you can do whatever you want, right? Whatever you're bent towards. One character will take some silly, uh, Scully and Mulder, well, he's the intuitive one. She's the very sciencey one. And pardon me, we'll make this real overt for for the audience. Um, I don't think you can do that exactly in the great novel, but um, you know, David Foster Wallace could probably do it that way. Then go meta on it, and then oh, okay, so now it's great. Um, none of that was in in the cards for what I wanted to do. And um, beyond that, as far as like my opinion um, on tripping, if there's something of value to it, it's likely going to be obtained through uh maniacal extreme level of like ambiguity that is um you know boiling on fire that the intensity of and you can do that with you know you can all of this stuff like there's a lot of good information as far as how to trip you know if if you're going to do it seriously, which is the way I always did it, I did not have any sort of Don Juan character. Those books, I read them. Um, I took what I needed, and I read everything else that I could take. But mostly what I have is, or mostly what I arrived at is, I'm still here with myself and the upbringing that I had, and that's really what you take to it. If you're going to go hard and go below layers of like pretense and trying to make people think this about you or that and gain you know external validation to me you know double the dose until you are crying in the fucking corner and 
you've realized that all of this is fucking folly, especially if you're honestly trying to attempt some sort of process operation of seeking. And so the humility feature, um, you know, and the, the baked into the cake aspect of our pride. Okay, do the math. Probably if you're going to talk to God, the way to approach this is to, as you come up, the intent that the rituals that you've been doing for four weeks, the, the fucking fasting, what have you, to kind of, once again, grab the dog by the scruff and pull his nose into his, this pile of shit that he's put on the floor, that he's dumped on the floor. Um, what I would personally seek as far as a state of mind, you know, like you're in the jet, it's fucking body high is over. We have, we have, um, left the station. What I want is, and it's fucking uncomfortable. This is why nobody does it. This is why they want a routine. They want a program. They want all the exact things that aren't going to get you there. What you're trying to do, I think, if you're trying to do it right, is to trick yourself into an experience of uh, like a paradox of both knowing and unknowing. You're trying to create that tension and then maintain it. And it's a very hard thing to do. Um, and I, that's maybe about all I can say um, without maybe overstepping any any you know um boundaries because if you're asking me what was helpful the most helpful thing was to um try and achieve that state of absolute awe as gregory of nyssa said the only thing that knows anything at all is wonder and um Referring back once again to these episodes 8, 9, and 10 of The Warrior's Way, how that integrates on a daily level or some level of, um, you know, quote, taking, taking the sacrament, I, I think that would be very personal. But I'll, I'll do the thing, you know, of saying, if you, if you ask my advice, um, and you do a self-assessment that if, I, if we can kind of postulate the most intense state of unknowing and yet persevering possible, such that you are now scared when you think of it. And if you think you can handle that, well, I mean, that's what I did. Did it really get me anything? That's impossible to say. It's impossible to say. It didn't get me, um, you know, locked in the loony bin for the rest of my life. Um, it steered me ultimately in, you know, here I am. Standing in um, <laughs> a very interesting place, um, communicating these words to you. So you just got to do, you know, all of that mental math, I think, as um, 
and that's that's probably about it. The one last thing that I would add to this um, caustic stew is in terms of all these various threads, right? Of like, what does this mean? What is this? What? Why? Why the fuck do these mushrooms do what they do? Because they, they do something. And there's something happening here. It's not just simply, um, I don't know, you know, that it evolved with this molecule and it's, it's fucking you up. It's way, 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 way beyond this. And so I absolutely empathize with any sincere sort of approach to it. Um, the whole line extends way, way, way back to where the beginning of this conversation. Um, John Marco Allegro, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, up to the Immortality Code by Brian Moriescu. I think it came out a year a year ago. And this is some, uh, <clears throat> you know, rigorous. I, It's not written in that kind of rigorous academic, like, believe me way. It's well written. Um, his approach is solid. He's a Jesuit. He's, he was immediately grabbed onto Jordan Peterson's show and Joe Rogan. Are those red flags? Well, I don't know. But um, the idea is that at some point in history, presumably not, not too much earlier than I guess the, I guess the time of Christ, um, because we're talking about like the mystery of Eleusis and you got to check this out if you haven't. Um, this is like a Mecca trip to where people from are making a literal, you know, journey overland many, many leagues away, um, to go to this temple and imbibe some sort of seemingly hallucinogenic substance and there's a lot of crossover between frankly orthodox christianity um central to this is the idea that if you die before you die then you won't die when you die that appears to be something that was floating around at these mystery schools and so is the eucharist actually the mushroom the mushroom you know um or was it some morieski does a pretty good job of of um retaining he you know his own skepticism on it to in terms of what it really was he he he's convinced it was something and that that was and you know, the blood of christ and all these things were not wine it was an, it was some cocktail some whether it was fortified wine of uh, hallucinogenic with hallucinogenic properties or some sort of ergot based like LSD substance. Um, at this point, I think it's unknown and there's enough evidence seemingly so that in a way the mystery only deepens. Um, and, you know, if you've ever really, really tripped, the second that you come to the conclusion, the whole conclusion, then boom, 
passes through a portal and you just expand to yet another level of abstraction. Um, but I think that for this particular question and, and clearly, you know, I'm, this is germane to the book, um, the King of Dogs book. These are all elements. Yes, I have read all of this stuff. And yes, I'm asking these questions. And yes, my characters are playing on uh, this field. So um, I'm glad that I'm glad to, I'm thankful or grateful, you know, for the opportunity to kind of expound on some of it. I don't know that any of this would be helpful. I hope so. Maybe, um, you know, in at least some literary sense. Um, Jefferson Airplane, right? Like one of the all-time classic psychedelic rock moments. Feed your head, feed your head. Um, I... I'll just leave it with that because I, as stated, I wish that I could, well, that's not even true. I'm pretty happy with, with the state of ambiguity, actually. Am I done with the search? Do I know the answer? I do not. But I am given to play this detective role, um, and this is a big a big thread that goes through, you know, my life and probably anybody's life who takes it seriously. Um, so read, or, you know, if you want the immortality code, I'm not, I don't know the guy. Um, I'm not vouching for it. I'm saying though, that there is a line of continuity and it's, you know, from the original Gordon Wasson essay in Time Magazine uh, right up till last year and now. And, you know, Joe Rogan has played his part. He plays a huge part in perpetuating the story. There are some other characters who, who along the way played parts. There was a guy named Jan Irvin who is, has a, there's something strange going on with him and Joe Rogan, Jan Irvin himself may be the strange piece. I don't know. I just know that um, there's, it appears to be that Jan Irvin is the guy who introduced this idea to Rogan early on. And, um, you know, therefore is most likely the, the origin point for its popularity. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, bending this over, what are we at? 134. Bending it over into a collapse situation. I think I better take a break and uh, get a beverage, and I'll come back. I'll be right back. <laughs> 